Tracy for joining me at the Follow Wax Leadership Podcast. Perfect. Don't worry about it. This is about you. I mean, and how you develop through your lifetime. Okay. So, okay. As candid as possible. <laughs> so, when did you know you wanted to be a leader in the banking system, and what do you attribute to your success as a leader? When did I realize that I wanted to be a leader in banking? Well, I didn't even realize I wanted to be a banker when I grew up <laughs> until I was probably 23. Um, City National had given me the opportunity to make some extra money the summer before I went into undergraduate. And I wanted a brand new couch. So I started working for City National Bank in the bookkeeping department as a summer job. Not necessarily an intern because that banking wasn't what I wanted to do. It was just a way to make some money this summer before I went away. And it wasn't until I told them that I had to leave to go to college at the end of the summer. And they said, well, had you ever thought about staying and working as a teller in one of our locations in the town where you'll be attending college? So, no, I hadn't thought about that. Well, my parents loved the idea because that's less money they had to shell out, you know, to help me. So, I did stay on as a teller, and I learned in that first year or so how good it felt to be able to make my own money. You know what I mean? It wasn't just handed to me, you know. And I had I had jobs through high school, too. You know, I was a server, and I worked at a tanning bed booth one time and um, scooped ice cream at Baskin-Robbins. And so I knew, you know, that. But it was different because I was in a professional world. And to be honest with you, I liked the way I was treated by the general public working in a corporate setting. It was a different kind of respect than the person who was scooping your ice cream. And that's sad to say that it, it was, you know. And I really liked the feel of that. I liked being able to make my own money and I liked being able to be looked at in a respectful way because I was the employee of a bank, of a federal, you know, a federal institution. And so I stayed on there and realized I was able to take full-time classes and also work part-time for the bank too. I think I was taking 18 hours at one point and still working. And I did split shifts. So I would go in and open the bank and then I would leave and take classes in the middle of the day. And then I'd come back and I'd close the drive-through as a teller at 6.30 at night or 6 o'clock at night. And then I do 6.30 to 9 classes. I mean, and some people would say that sounds like a nightmare. I realized personally inside that it was something I could juggle. It was something I could do. So it was more or less um, what should I say? Not a competition, but it was a challenge for me. I love a challenge. I like somebody to say, you can't do that. Because when they do, buddy, I want to. And I have a nine-year-old now that is exactly the same way. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm reaping what I sow now. Or practicing what I preach, you know. So she's always, you know, striving to do better and better and better. So that gave me, I guess, a little bit of feel for what I could do. You know, I felt real confident in myself. I'm like, okay, I'm taking classes. I'm able to work full time. I'm in a job that I, you know, it's kind of professional-like, you know. I'm not, like, working at McDonald's or anything. It made me feel really good about myself. Um, but, again, it's not what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, I was a psychology major, um, and 
uh, working with the geriatric population for end-of-life counseling was where I saw myself because I did a lot of volunteer work in high school with assisted living centers. Um, and that was where I got my cords for community service hours and that sort of thing. And that's where I saw myself. I mean, and I'd always been drawn to an older population as long as I could remember. My mom will even tell you, we'd go to the beach and I'd talk to the older people at the hotel than I would the kids, you know, and I just was drawn to that. Um, and it wasn't until probably the middle or the beginning of my senior year that I realized, okay, for me to continue on in this field, it's going to take additional schooling. I'm going to have to get I'm, I'm going to have to get a PhD or something like that. And at that point, working in the banking industry had already given me the financial sound mind to realize that I was throwing money down the drain with renting an apartment. So I had already bought a house. I had bought my first house at 22. Wow. And I had a mortgage. I had a mortgage payment, you know, and, and I had bills and that sort of thing. And to go on to get a PhD and continue to pay these bills for all this adult stuff I had accomplished was hard. And the bank said, well, stay with us. And we see, we could see a set career path for you. And to be honest with you, I loved it. I loved the bank. I was already really building a, a customer base by that time. And I had gained the respect of my coworkers, and even some of the executives in the bank had seen my name on emails and lists and things like that for cross sales. So they saw, you know, I was sitting down with people and I was not just servicing their needs, but I was uncovering stuff that they didn't realize that, that could help them from a banking standpoint, you know, savings or, or, you know, consolidating or anything like that. So I decided, okay, I'll stick around for a couple of years. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back to school. You know, I'll figure out a way, get student loans or what have you. And um, I moved quickly, but I realized what it was going to take to move quickly, how I was going to be recognized, you know, and, and what I had to do to get there. And I'm pretty much, I mean, and everybody, some people believe in this and some people don't. Vision boards are an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, you can have a vision board in your head, yes, but if you have something that you can visually look at, you know, just like people write notes to themselves on their bathroom mirror or on their refrigerator, it's the same concept. You've got to have a goal that you're working towards to be able to get there. I mean, you can't just go into it blindsided and just know where you're going, you know. So at that point, I realized I think I might have what it takes to do really good in banking but I didn't see myself as a leader at that time. I just saw myself as a really good banker. Somebody who was able to make a connection with people, get them to trust me, you know, in a genuine way, and be able to help them. Um, so that's kind of where the career path started. Can you repeat the question for me? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know the question, you answered the first question, but the second question was, um, how do you, part of it was, what do you, or to, or whom do you attribute your success as a leader? Oh, golly. And can I revert back to that first part of that question, too? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it could be it your was, father. It yeah, could be somebody. It was, it was when I, I want to revert back to part A of that question, though, because you, you asked me when I just realized that I wanted to be a leader. Yeah. And I think 
I never really realized I wanted to do that because that's intimidating. It's intimidating for anybody to be able to, to lead people. And I, in my career, have never been about the money. Money's great. Yes, it helps you. It puts more food on the table. It keeps stress levels down. But it was, I wanted to succeed for me. And as I got older in life, now I want to succeed for my daughter. Now I want to succeed for my family, you know. But whenever I hit that, okay, this is what it's going to take for me to be a really good banker and make a career out of this. Then my coworkers started to ask me, well, how do you do this? How did you make that happen? How do you make cold calls and get people to not hang up on you? How do you, and that's kind of when the light went on. And I was like, hey, people who have worked here longer than me are coming to me for advice. And they're asking me how I did things. And then I could see maybe one day I might be able to help a whole team of people do that. You know, we come together and we work on the goal as one and not just me. And that's kind of when that happened. Um, but who influenced me the most? Gosh, there's different parts of me that have gotten me to where I am. And I think that it's not... My my part of being a leader is not just about leading a team. It's also about setting an example. And I do a lot of community service stuff. You know, I, I give back a lot of time and, and things like that. And I learned that from my grandmother. Um, my dad's mother was always, I mean, she would give anybody anything. The shirt off of her back. I know that's a common saying, but it's true. She certainly would. Um, but she was really involved with the community. She had a job, and I, I don't want to disclose where or what, but she had a job that kept her very, very, very busy and very involved and paid very little. And she did it because she liked the way it made her feel. She liked what she was doing for people. And that was a huge example for me. That, she was just a classy little thing. I mean, she wore driving gloves. What woman puts on gloves to drive her car? You know, I mean, she, she was just... Just classy. I just loved her. And nobody ever said anything bad about her. Nobody could say a bad word about her. You know, so even though she was out there in the mix of the public and doing a lot and a lot was asked of her, she always did it with a smile and still loved what she did. So I got that piece from her. My dad was always a worker. I mean, and he to this day... You can ask the people that work with him. He was the first one in the office, and he was the last one to leave. And he did that even before he had a management position because a lot of people think it's because he came from a certain generation, and that's just the way they felt. And all those studies do show that. You know, generation baby boomers always work the hardest or what have you. But I did. I learned that from him, you know, and he was always a company man. Like, whatever he did, he was in the eye of the company. If he was at a restaurant, if he was, you know, at a, a concert, he always had the mentality that he he was a reflection of the company that he worked for. And I think that's really important. Yes. Um, and I try to teach that to my staff now. You know, if you want to go to happy hour, that's fine. Take your name tag off, please. <laughs> you know, that's just an example of what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, if you want to post your political views on Facebook, that's okay too, but let's keep them mild because still on Facebook it shows that you are an employee of City National Bank. And it's just, I think it's really important. And I'm not saying that your company should control you by any means. Right. 
Um, but you need to realize that if you do work for a good employer and they do treat you well, that you have, you need to respect them in that sense too. So my dad was the one that taught me to work really, really hard. My mom was the one that drew out the creativity. She was always such a creative person. She was the one that helped with the homecoming floats in high school. She always made all my Halloween costumes. I mean, she was the one that had these big harebrained ideas and somehow they always came to fruition. And so I have taken that to my plate within leadership by doing things that are fun and that keep my team motivated and build rapport between each other. Like we have a camaraderie here and we're all a family and it's because we decorated the office for Halloween and we're proud of it. And it's because everybody wore a really ridiculous hat on a Friday and we serviced all of our customers together that day and it made laughs. So I think I pulled that, that piece from my mom. And so it's kind of my family. That's the answer to that question. My immediate family, not anybody in a magazine or on TV or in a textbook. So as a leader, um, what was a challenging event that happened to you as in your leadership? And what was one or an impact that changed the way you lead? Was there a certain way? As much as you feel like you know someone, and as much as you feel like you can trust them, there are going to be times when you are let down. And you have to realize that it's not always because of something you've done. It's because of something that they may be struggling with in their life, or it may be something that you never figure out. And if you let, if I let that get to me, then it's a black cloud that looms over everybody. And that isn't fair when you're a leader. You just have to be able to move on and not always take it personally. And that's very, very hard. Um, terminations are extremely challenging. Some people say that they get easier the more that you do it. They don't for me. You know, I've, I've got a stock of turtlenecks in the back of the closet, and those are the shirts that go on on those days because my whole body is blood red, and I haven't slept the night before, and I'm praying for the person that I have to terminate. You know, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, even if it's for insubordination, it's still hard. Um, and that's a challenge for me, too. Um, in the banking industry, a lot of managers will tell you their biggest challenge is meeting goals. I don't see that as a challenge. And I don't always meet my goals. But I just don't feel like that's that's the biggest picture. It's not meeting goals. It's being able to cultivate people and help them grow and help them move on. I mean, ultimately, you want your whole team to be doing what you're doing if you're a leader. Now, if you're a boss, it's a little different. And I've had bosses in my life, and I've also had leaders. And I've learned from both of them. I've learned from the bosses what not to do, and I've learned from the leaders what to do. And there's a huge difference between those two terms. Can you answer that question? Yes. Okay. And you sort of answered part of this, though. 
how do you lead your employees to be successful? How do you manage an employee that is underperforming? Five people. 100%. If there's anything that I ask them to do, I better be doing it myself. And if I have one that is underperforming, they're not going to be blindsided when they have a review. They're going to know at that review that there's been an issue already. And this could be for behavioral or this could be for um, schedule incoherence. They're not like meeting their schedule, they're calling in, they're you know, not showing up or they're late or what have you. But a lot of my team, I think it's really important that you meet with them on a much more frequent basis than once a year. A lot of managers, leaders, will have an annual review with somebody when they tell them how they're doing and maybe they get a raise, maybe they don't. I don't believe in that. I believe that if somebody's struggling for something, that I need to ask them how I can help them. I meet with my staff every three months, every quarter. My door's always open, period, if they want to talk. But every quarter, I actually sat, sit down, and they have a time and a day, just like you and I do today, and the door is shut, and it's just us two. And there might not be anything I want to talk to them about, but I still bring them in here, and we still sit down, and I'm like, what's going on with you? And if everything's hunky-dory and great here, I'll pat them on the back and say, you're doing an amazing job. Keep it up. Now, what's going on at home? How's your dog? How's your mom dad? You know, I just think it's really important for them to know that I care about them enough to take the time to sit down and talk to them. And it's not just once a year. And if they are struggling and they do want my help, then we'll sit down and try to figure out a plan. And without getting into, like, the nitty-gritty logistics of, like, banking, sales, and that sort of thing, if they have a long-term goal, like an annual goal, and they're really falling short, then we'll sit down and we'll look at it on a monthly or a weekly basis. Okay, to meet this annual goal, what would it look like every week? What would you have to do every week? Because doesn't that look a lot easier? Doesn't that seem a lot more attainable? And then a lot of times if I have one that's truly struggling on gaining a comfort level on how to talk about something, then I'll bring them in here. The minute that that situation presents itself, I call them in here and they're on mute. They're not saying a word and they're listening to every word I say. I've got the customer on speaker or I'm typing up an email or something and I just am 100% transparent with them about how I handle it or how I do it. And sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. And that's, that leads back to that thing where you can't always beat yourself up over things and think that it's your fault. I mean, some people have the will to do good and some people don't have a drive, you know? And sometimes I've had employees like that and I've realized, well, maybe this isn't the right place for them, but I don't want them to leave the company because they're good workers. So we look for another position in the company that would better suit them so that we don't lose this amazing person and we put them into doing something that they like that makes them feel good about themselves. Thank you for joining us. This is the Bala Wex Leadership and have a good evening.